Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I heard this side over here. Good morning, Doctor. Boy, you know, I, I saw you in the back last night. I was thinking, I've seen her somewhere before. Where have I seen her before? And then I remembered. Isn't it amazing how the brain works, the cycle, all the information? It's wonderful. Well, who was here last night? Sure, last night. What did we learn last night? The name of our of our talk this week is called "The Main Thing Is the Main Thing." Does that make sense? It's logical, isn't it? The main thing is the main thing, and what we're talking about is the whole issue of worship, because worship worship molds who we are. Worship should change us into God's image. Worship should control and and mitigate every action of our lives. And last night we talked about the main what? The main why. Why do we worship? What's worship all about? We discovered some fascinating things. If you want to get the whole talk, you can get it from American American Cassette Ministries. Just go to AmericanCassette.org. And type on, um, you can, there's a whole listing of authors there. My, my name will be up there. Go under my name and see the titles and you'll click on the main thing is the main thing. You'll get the meeting for last night. But we discovered that Sabbath is the sign that God can take nothing and make something. Don't you like that thought? God can take nothing and make something. Anybody in the room today who feels like they're a big zero, if you add God, you're now a perfect ten. God can take nothing and make something. That's what the Sabbath tells us. Friends, Sabbath is not a day. It's a way. It's a, it's a, when I came, when I woke up this morning, when I woke up this morning, I was excited because this is the day that God has set aside for me to manifest my relationship with God, to reaffirm my commitment to His way of life. But more than that, it's a day that God has set aside to teach me how to be like God. You see, that's why the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 that on the seventh day, God rested. He changed His activities from the week. The week had been active. The week had been planning. The week had been thinking ahead. God began to plan for Sabbath on Sunday. We should begin to plan for Sabbath on Sunday. You see, Sabbath is the focal point of our lives. Just as the, just as the sanctuary was the focal point of Israel, and the most holy place was the focal point of the sanctuary, and the Ark of the Covenant was the focal point of the most holy place, the fourth commandment was the focal point of the law. And as such, the Sabbath becomes a focal point of my relationship with God. And how he wants, just as the first Sabbath on earth was Adam and Eve communing with God. The first day of their existence was them learning how to be like God. That's what Sabbath does for us. Teaches us how to be like God. We'll get the whole message. I think you'll learn some more things than that. But what we want to talk about today is not the main who. I'm sorry, I I told you wrong. Today is the main where. I'm sorry, the main when. This afternoon, we're going to talk about the main how. 
And then we're going to talk about the main where. You're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed. How many of you were raised Seventh-day Adventists? Wow. You're going to be amazed this afternoon as you see the, the complex broadness of the Sabbath. David said, exceeding broad are thy commandments. And we're going to see this afternoon how the Sabbath regulates and, 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 tip of, and, and, and exemplifies and beautifies every aspect of life. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Well, Jesus said, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. And notice what the Bible says here. Jesus says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. By the way, we learned last night we learned last night a, a critical point that God ties His creative power and His creative authority to His prophetic power and His prophetic insight. And once we begin to to lose our prophetic grounding, once we forget forget, to, once we start to lose our prophetic belief, we will automatically begin to lose our belief in God's authority. Because the two are tied tightly together in the Scriptures. And we saw verse after verse after verse after verse last night that prove that from the Word of God without any shadow of doubt. What Satan knows if he can get us to doubt God's prophetic message, we will soon begin to doubt God's ownership of the Sabbath. We will soon begin to doubt God's authority of the Scripture. And eventually we will begin to doubt God's remnant church and we will leave altogether. Satan knows that. So here God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to any graven image. You see, God is very jealous, as we will see today, about worship and how we worship. Satan is sliding in, you know, Satan, the Bible says Satan's a snake, right? Have you ever noticed that snakes are very subtle? We used to have a boa constrictor named Fred. And Fred was a pink-tailed boa. He was a beautiful snake. He used to sleep around my waist. Snakes are great creatures if you get to know them. <clears throat> Fred, as a matter of fact, if you go back to the Review and Herald, anywhere from 1968 to about 1985, any snake you see in the Review and Herald or any snake you see in any Adventist publication is Fred. It's my, it's my snake. They'd call me and say, hey, Dan, we need Fred. I'll bring him up. Fred was a very popular guy. But snakes are very subtle. We used to put mice into Fred's cage. Now, boa constrictors will not kill a, a, a dead animal. They won't eat a dead animal. Excuse me, you can't kill a dead animal, Dane. They will not eat a dead animal. So they got to drop in something live. So we'd drop in a live, a live mouse, and the mouse, the minute he saw Fred, he'd run over to the other side of the cage, and, and he'd shudder there on the side, just shivering. And Fred would just lay there very quiet. And after a little while, this, the, the mouse would start running around and running around and running around. And before you know it, he was running on Fred's back, running on Fred's head. And boom! He was gone. That's how Satan works with us. When the temptation first comes, we shudder in fear. We go to the side. We kind of huddle there. And Satan just lays lifeless. He introduces the error. He introduces the doubt. He introduces the new thing. He introduces this and he just steps back. Until we get accustomed to the danger. 
And we don't see it for what it really is. And then we start running on Satan's back and playing it. Isn't that a beautiful snake? Boom! And you're gone. And Satan is sliding in things, saying it doesn't matter how you worship God, just worship. It doesn't matter what you sing, just sing. It doesn't matter what you believe, just believe something. We're going to see today how fallacious that is. Because Jesus said in Exodus chapter 20, now I hope you brought your Bibles, because when I preach, I use the Bible. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Notice what Jesus says. He says in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to what? To keep it holy. It doesn't only mean to, to keep it holy as far as a day goes, as far as honoring the right things, but also means we need to guard the holiness of the Sabbath to keep it a holy day. Not to let it slide into oblivion. Not to let it become a common, ordinary worship day. We need to uphold the principles of right Sabbath observance as we discovered last night. We saw seven things the Sabbath helps us to remember last night. Notice it says, but the seventh, I'm sorry, it's verse nine. For in six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day. Now notice he doesn't say a seventh day. He says what? The seventh day. Do you know that in the Bible, I'm sorry, in the human, who here speaks a foreign language? I know you do. What's the word for Saturday in Spanish? You're Arabic, excuse me. Could you try to guess what it is in Spanish? No. <laughs> Sabado. Yeah. Okay. What is it in Arabic? What is it? Sabbath. Okay. Who here speaks French? What is it? That's right. That's kind of a transliteration of Sabbath. Okay. Who here speaks Russian? What is it? Subota. Yeah. Have you noticed a common thread here? In every language, what is the word for Saturday? What is Saturday? That's a Greek word for Saturn's day. We had Moon Day, Thor's Day. You know, they're all named after gods. Now, that was in the original. That's what it was called when Jesus was on earth. What happened to change the name of Sabato, Sabado, Sabbat, and all these other names? What happened to, to have them change from Saturn's day to those other names? What happened? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The early Christian church in the second, third, and fourth century lived the Sabbath. They remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy to such a degree that it changed the name of the word in the languages of many people. That's what happened. You see, friends, Sabbath is a total transformation of life. It's not just a day. It's a way. And it should be so graphic to people around us. People should know if you're in, if you have a neighbor, they should know that every Sabbath morning at 8.30 to a quarter to nine, you're walking out the door to go to church. You know, it amazes me. Nobody has ever gone to their employer and say, boss, I just can't get here at eight. Can I come at 10? And yet we come to the pastor and say, pastor, I just, I just can't get up that early. Can we, can we start having Sabbath school at 10? Something's wrong with this picture. You see, the Sabbath is a holy day. It's a God made a holy day for a holy people to celebrate a holy God. 
And when we see this, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy maidservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger. You know, when we had a horse, we had a big horse named Doc. He was a beautiful quarter. I had 15 horses. My daughter, why do girls love horses? Can't figure it out. But my daughter, we had 15 horses. Most of them weren't worth a plug nickel. They were dumber than a rock. You could not get them to do anything. But Doc was a good horse. But we gave Doc the Sabbath off. The Bible says he's supposed to get the day off. No horseback riding on Sabbath. The horse gets the Sabbath off. Right? That's what the Bible says. I came home one day. There was a man getting ready to, I rented, was renting a house. He was getting ready to cut a, um, a swatch through my yard, or the, the landlord's yard, over to the place where he needed to go. And we walked, we came in, and I said to my son, he, Anthony, he was only about nine at the time, I said, Anthony, we got a job to do. We can't let that man work on our, on our property on Sabbath. The Bible says, nobody works on my property on the Sabbath. Well, I said, you know what, brother? You get the day off. He said, what are you talking about? I said, God loves you so much, He wants you to have the day off. If you want to come back and cut the swatch tomorrow, if you want to cut around my property, that's fine. But as long as you're on God's property, you get the day off. Go home and have a good day. He said, man, I like this. I'll see you later. He went home. But you see, that's a witness. It's a witness. Don't just say, and, and you know, the problem we make as Adventists, we say, this is my Sabbath. Excuse me. The commandment says the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord. Why are we so embarrassed about the Sabbath? Be, be proud that you're a Sabbath keeper. You have the God of eternity on your side. You have the God of the universe backing you up. If you go somewhere and somebody asks you, what day do you keep? You go, Excuse me? I'm a Sabbath keeper. I keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. We need to do that. We need to keep it holy. Now notice. Notice. It says it's the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. You see, the Sabbath, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments deal with our duty to God. The last six, the the next six, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, deal with our duty to man. And right in the middle of the two is the great bridge between the two decalogues, between the two sides of the law. The Sabbath commandment not only deals with our duty to God, the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it you shall not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant. This is where God bridges from our duty to God to our duty to man. And without keeping the Sabbath, soon we do not serve God or man. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus says this. Notice what he says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. Jesus says, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how, he who loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he cannot see? You see, the reason why, brothers and sisters, the reason why the United States of America is in the trouble it's in today, we have immorality, we have gang shootings, we have murders, rapes, all kinds of things going on. Did you hear yesterday a teacher kidnapped her 13-year-old student? Perversion! Why? Because we have not understood as a people, as a Christian nation, the duty we have toward God in keeping the Sabbath day holy. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. So here you have the first three. Love for God. And then the fourth commandment bridges us to love for man. If we leave the fourth commandment out, we soon love neither God nor man. 
Sun love, neither one. We're totally confused. It's no mistake. It is no mistake that after you forget the law, you forget God. After you forget the law, you for, after you forget God, you forget the law. And it's also no mistake that after God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the next thing He does is give what? The sanctuary in Exodus 28 verse 5. You see, because you have to have a corporate place of worship to learn how to serve God. This is where we come to learn how to serve God, isn't it? Or is it? Has Sabbath just become a place where we come to show off our new clothes? Or to see the person we haven't seen during the week? Or to show everybody what good saints we are? Or do we really understand the importance of Sabbath worship? Notice Jesus said in Exodus 28 verse 5, Let them make me. God didn't make the sanctuary Himself. Could God have sent angels to make the sanctuary? Could He? But what did God say? Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So the Sabbath belongs to God. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, but the sanctuary belongs to God. Friends, this building that we are in today does not belong to me. It belongs to God. The Sabbath that I am worshiping in, this is not my time. The other six days of the week are in some ways my time, but even that's not true because God regulates everything. But in a very real way, of all the hours of the week, these are the hours from sundown to sundown that we must be most concerned that we realize it is God's time, not mine. God does not give me permission to talk about whatever I want to talk about. God does not give me permission to wear whatever I want to wear. God does not give me permission to do whatever I want to do. God says, Dane, these are my hours. This is my time. This is my house. We don't come to church, to church board meetings, to decide how we want worship to go. We come to decide how God says worship should go. And if you look at the sanctuary, did you realize that Exodus chapter 25 to Exodus chapter 40, all those 15 verse, all those 15 chapters is God telling in specific detail exactly how to build his building. God telling us how to build his building. Now, we have forgotten the lesson in that. We have forgotten the lesson in that. Because Jesus told the Jews exactly how to build it. Now, write these verses down. We're not going to look them up because we've got a long way to go today. We're not going to look these up. But I want you to see what God is trying to tell us in the Old Testament. By the way, is the sanctuary only for the Jews? No, because there's a heavenly sanctuary. So the principles that God laid down in the Old Testament concerning the sanctuary were to teach us how to worship God just as much as it was to teach them how to worship God. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Jesus made it very clear with Nadab and Abihu that when he says, bring a certain type of fire, you bring the type of fire God says. You see, in, the, in Nadab and Abihu's mind, they said, fire's fire. Just touch it, it burns you, right? No matter who strikes the match, fire is fire, correct? Come on, be with me, folks. Talk to me. Fire is fire, right? In our human logic. That's exactly what Satan said to Eve. Eve, 
Look at all the trees. There's something different about this one? Yes, because, because God said there was something different about that one. And when God told Israel, you only bring a certain type of fire, Nadab and Abihu thought, fire's fire. Doesn't make a difference. They're gone. God says, it does make a difference because I said it does. You see, I like what old C.D. Brooks says. C.D. Brooks said, people are saying the Bible's not relevant anymore. He says, if God says it, it's relevant. So is it for me. If God says it, it's relevant. And God said, don't bring any strange fire. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 to 35, God said you could only bring a certain type of incense. Anybody who brought any other type of incense but what God said to bring, they were cut off from the camp. And when you were cut off from the camp, that meant you never came back. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 7 and 11. People, God said, you will not choose where you worship. You will not choose where you bring your tithe. You bring the tithe. You bring your offerings where I tell you to bring it. Now we see this happening even today. People will say, it doesn't matter where you pay your tithe as long as you pay it. That's not what God says. God says, you bring the plate, you bring your tithe to the place I choose to place my name there. Why does it make a difference? Because God said it. And because we, what did we learn last night? There's one word not in God's vocabulary. What is it? Oops. God never makes a mistake. So God said, you don't choose where you worship. You don't choose the day you worship. You don't choose how you worship. You do it the way I say. And the, the, the beauty of the thing is, God always knows what He's doing. And when we come and worship God in God's way, your whole life changes. Your whole life is different. Your whole life gets new meaning. Your whole life gets new, new, new power. Your whole life gets new focus. That's what we need. I feel like I'm here all alone today. <laughs> In Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you read through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the offerings, the feast days, the assemblies, and everything else was specified by God. Do you know that God said in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, three times in a year, all the males in Israel were to come before God to worship. Now, think about that command for a minute, friends. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have helicopters, brother. They couldn't fly their helicopters in, you know, get there quick. How did they get to Jerusalem? They walked. What type of business were they involved in? They were agrarian. They were farmers for the most part. Who was surrounding them, watching to attack them at all times? The Philistines, the enemies. And the, the Israelites easily could have said, Lord, you don't understand. If I, if I go down to Jerusalem and leave my wife and, cause only the men were required to go to three times to the feast of what? What were they? The feast of, no, that tabernacles is one, not Passover, unleavened bread, and Pentecost. Those are the three feasts they were required to be at. Now imagine a man saying, Lord, I can't make it. I mean, if I leave, the, the Philistines are going to come down and get my land. You know, God gave them a promise. Did you know God gave them a promise? He said, look, when you go those three times a year, I'll watch over your land. Nobody will take it from you. Friends, when it comes to duty to God and how we worship God, we don't need to tell God what's going to happen if we worship Him His way. He's going to protect us as we do it. He's going to shadow us as we do it. Our job is to do what God says. His job is to make it work out. 
you lose? I wish I had a doctor like that. Never loses. So everything was specified by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God commanded them, God commanded them to destroy all manner of false worship among them. Do you think it behooves us to take a new look at how we are worshiping God? Because God said, you need to destroy all types of worship that I did not say were good. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. He says that the tithe was to be brought to where God chose, not where they wanted it to go. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. They couldn't choose where to bring any offering or anything else. They had to bring it where God said it would go. And then Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 30. Notice this. This is so cogent. Turn there for just a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 12. This is the, this is the, the high mark of God's command to us today. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 30. Notice what God says to the children of Israel. Take heed to yourself that thou be not snared by following the heathen, the people that are among them, after they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. I got an interesting email the other day. Anybody here heard of the name Bill Hybels? Willow Creek? Bill Hybels came out two weeks ago at his church, Willow Creek in Chicago, Illinois. 25,000, 30,000 members. And he publicly confessed that their worship model is entirely wrong. He said it's not meeting your needs. It's not a, it's not a biblical worship model. And yet we as Seventh-day Adventists were trying to copy the Willow Creek model. Jesus says here, Jesus says here, don't go after their gods saying, how did they serve their gods? And I'll do likewise. God says, I've told you how to worship. I've told you what to do. You see, we need to realize that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. Friends, turn there for a minute. Look at this. Matthew chapter 15. We discovered last night that all God-centered worship, all true worship is God-centered worship. All pagan worship is self-centered worship. And if we are coming to church saying, I want to do this because it makes me feel good, that's not God-centered worship. That's me-centered worship. But the, the beauty of the, of the truth is that all God-centered worship will eventually make me feel good. <laughs> because the more I get like God, the better I feel. And the more I act like God, the clearer conscience I have. And a clear conscience makes a soft pillow. Are you with me? Okay, we have three over here that are still with me. I hope you all catch up soon. Matthew chapter 15. Notice what Jesus says in verse 7 through 9. Who's He talking to here? He's talking to the... Sabbath-keeping, vegetarian, right-dressing, health-reform-minded Jews. Are you with me? Now, I'm not casting dispersion on those things. Is it? We're going to discover this afternoon how important lifestyle is according to the Sabbath. But friends, if, can we make lifestyle our God? Can we? 
Yes, we can. I know some people that are so... I've met some pretty ornery vegetarians. I have. I went to one church. I'll never forget it. I was here in California. I won't tell you where it was. We were going to go do health meetings. And they said, don't expect any success here. They don't believe the health message of this church. I said, well, we'll come anyway. We're going to have a good time. If just one person believes, it'll be good. So we got finished with our early morning service and we with the service. We went to eat lunch and all the people that quote that claimed to be health reformers went this way and all the other people were going that way. And I stood in the middle going. So I walked down this way. And I walked into the room and I said, um, I'm a little confused. This is fellowship dinner, right? And they said, yes. I said, well, how come most of the church is down there and we're over here by ourselves? And they said, oh, they're not vegetarians. They eat cheese over there. I said, um, well, why aren't you, why don't we go enjoy? Oh no, they even have cream cheese. I said, you know what? I think I know why the people in your church don't like vegetarians. Were they saying something to the other people? It's called Phariseeism. I said, um, did you ever think about making enough food to feed everybody down there? Oh, they wouldn't eat our food. Have you ever tried? Oh, no. Why not? It's possible to make all those things of God, but... Is it possible to be doing all the right things and still be lost? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in what? Vain do you worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of man. You see, the moment we get engrossed in self-worship, in vanity worship, are we become indoctrinated in vain worship. The Jews had convinced themselves that worship could be what they conceived it to be, driven by their perceptions of God, their feelings about God, and their desires about how they wanted to serve God. But Jesus came and said, no, true worship changes our conception of God and changes our perception of who God is. That's true worship. What does it say in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9? The heart is what? Deceitful above all things. And there are people who say, oh, but Pastor Griffin, God knows my heart. Yes, He does. But you don't. That's why I can't trust my heart. That's why I've got to go by the Word and by the Spirit of prophecy. That's why all true worship is... Ellen White says that the only way to God comes from God. We've got to go to God and say, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Lord, teach me. And what the Lord teaches us in the sanctuary service in the Old Testament is that the only way to come before God is the way that He specifies. It's the only way. We might, and we're going to discover today what that means this afternoon. 
Now, look at this. Exodus chapter 20. Let's go back there again. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. Notice what Jesus says here. This is so beautiful. In verse 5, this is what commandment? Which commandment is this? It's the third. Second, excuse me. Second commandment. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a what? A jealous God. Now, have any of you ever lived with a jealous person? Some of you have. That's not what God's talking about here. Let's look at what God means when He says He's a jealous God. Look at Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14. Friends, I challenge you today to begin into the biblical model of letting the Bible interpret itself. Look at what God says. Notice in Exodus chapter 34 verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. God says, my name is jealous. Should that get our attention? Should it? Man should get our attention. God says, my name is jealous. He said, I'm a jealous God, but look what he's jealous for, friends. He's not jealous like a, like an immature little, little 16 year old girl who wants to have Mr. Jock fall in love with her. That's not the type of jealousy God's talking about here. The type of jealousy that God is talking about is outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. Notice this beautiful picture of God and why He has given us worship in His way on His day. Notice, it says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now you might say, Dan, what's so beautiful about that? God is a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. Friends, one day, God is going to consume all false worshipers. But where is God jealous? Let's look. Where is God jealous? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 2. Look at Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 2. This is so beautiful. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. Friends, why is God jealous? What's He saying here? God is saying, I am jealous for you to be saved. There's nothing I want more than for my people to be saved. There's nothing I want more than my people to enter into the worship joy that I have outlined for them. I am a jealous God. I paid the ultimate price for your salvation and I will jealously get you to where I want you to go. Man, that's a picture of a God who has such an intimate, deep, unending love for His people that He will do anything to get them saved. Well, look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Notice what Jesus says here. Paul comparing the relationship of God and His people to marriage. We're going to talk about relationships this afternoon. Don't miss it. Did you know the Sabbath even talks about relationships? <laughs> it's amazing. God says in verse 2, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What's the jealousy God has, friends? What's the jealousy He has? He is jealous that we worship Him in the way that will give us the most joy. He is jealous that we worship Him in a way that will drive us to love Him more than we love anything else on the face of the earth. And all true worship will do that. 
All true worship will bring unity. All true worship will show us the beautiful character of God. Well, does it matter how we worship? Let's look at a few situations in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4. First case of worship in the Scriptures. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. Verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat. And the Lord had respect unto Cain and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. Now, I want you to ask yourself the question here. Were both men worshiping? Yes. Did God, according to the sanctuary, and they were basically following a sanctuary type methodology here, did God say they could bring first fruit offerings? Yes. They brought first fruit offerings, but only at certain times. This was not one of the times they were to bring first fruit offerings. This was the time they were to bring a blood sacrifice offering. But Cain thought, I'm worshiping. God said I could bring it, so I'll bring it. What's the problem? What happened? God says partial obedience in worship is as worthless as no worship at all. You see, they were both worshiping God. They were both worshiping His way. But only one did it the way that God said. Only one realized that worship is not an expression. Now listen to me now. This is very crucial. Worship is not so much an expression of how much I love God, but it's an acknowledgement of how much God loves me. Hence, worship is not directed from me to God so much as it's directed from God to me. Wow, that's a new concept to me. I said, Lord, I've always been thinking I was making you so happy when I was trying to worship you. And God says, no, Dan, you don't try to worship me. You can only worship me if I put the worship in you. Did you hear me? And the moment I begin to substitute my own desires and my own ways and my own thoughts and my own plans and what makes me feel good, God can't put worship in me anymore. That's what we see when Cain and Abel. Now go to 2 Chronicles chapter chapter 26 and verse 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 3. We're not going to read it, but I'll just tell you that this is about King Uzziah. King Uzziah, he reigned for 52 years in Israel. 52 years. 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 34 said that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that good? Wouldn't you like the Bible to say that about you? He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But what happened? Second Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 15. And Uzziah made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and above the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones. And his name was spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the temple's incense altar. 
You say, well, Dane, what's wrong with that? God told them they were supposed to burn incense. What was the problem? God said only the priests burn incense on the altar. But you see, here's what happened to Isaiah. Listen to me now, friends. God looked at his, Isaiah, Isaiah looked at his life. How long had he been a king? Probably about 48 years by this point in time. 48 years. And he says, I've done what's right in the sight of God. God has been with me. God has, I have God's protection. Never has the kingdom of Israel been so great. God has to be with me. I'm going to go in and burn incense to show my thankfulness to God. There's only one problem. God said no. Now let's bring that down today. How many of us can look back at our lives, and I've seen this happen, people will say, God's with our church here. Look at all the baptisms we had. Look at all, let, let's start, let's start trying to get these new people involved in worship. Let's bring in some, some different type of music. Let's bring in some different type of entertainment. Let's bring in some of this and let's bring in some of that to make the church more relevant to the new believers. God said, excuse me, I've been with you in the past, but past presence is no guarantee of future blessing. You see, the moment Uzziah thought that he could prescribe how to come before God, how he could dictate what he did to worship God, God said, that's it. You've made a transgression against me. And what happened to Uzziah? He became a leper. He became a leper. A righteous man cut down through false worship, through self-aggrandized worship. Listen, let's look at Uzzah. Let's look at Uzzah. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1-8. through 8. Look at this for a minute, friends. This is so powerful. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Notice what's happening here. Verses 1-8. through 8. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose up and went with all the people that were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from thence the ark of God. Now, how did it get there? It had been taken there by Eli's wicked sons. They lost it in battle, and it had been there ever since. They came to get the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, that dwells between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzziah and Ohilo, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, of fir wood and harps and psalteries and on timbrels and cornets and cymbals. And if you read the same story in First Chronicles 13, 1-10, it says they praised God with all their voice. Friends, this was a honest, sincere, from the heart, Worship service? They had the right motive. They had sincere attitude. They were enthusiastic in their worship. But something happened. What happened? The ark began to, 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 to tumble like this and Uzzah reached up to touch it and God struck him dead. And David said, God! Why? We've been, we're getting, we're getting your ark home. We're bringing it back to where you said it should be. Lord, we had 30,000 people in worship. We're praising you with all of our voice and you do this? Don't miss the point. David, over in 1st Chronicles chapter 15, turn over there for a minute. 1st Chronicles 15. 
And we're going to look at verses 12 and on. David comes to the priest in verse 11. And he said to them, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both thee and your brethren, that we may bring up the ark of the Lord. This is about a year later, or a little bit later. And bring up the ark of the Lord onto the place that I have prepared for it. Because, now look at verse 13. Because ye did it not at the first, the priests weren't involved the first time. Because ye did it not at the first, the Lord God made a breach upon us because we sought Him not, listen to this friends, we sought Him not after the due order. Now don't miss this point. David has an aha moment. He said, Lord, I understand what I did. You see, back when he first tried to move the ark, David looked at how the Philistines had done it. The Philistines, when they put the ark in the temple of Ashdod, what happened? Ashdod falls over. They pick him up. Ashdod falls over, breaks his arms off. They say, we've got to get rid of this thing. So they say, how do we get rid of it? Well, the priest said, we heard if you put it on an ox cart and knew an ox have never milked before, that God will take it away. So they go and they get an ox cart. They were ignorant of God's command, correct? They served Him as much as they knew how with the information at hand. They tried to do what they thought they should do to please God. Now friends, did God work a miracle for the Philistines? Yes. Not only did the, not only did those milking cows go up the road to Israel, where did they go? To a city of the Levites. How did those dumb cows know it was the city of the Levites? God said, swing a left, boys. Swing a right. Okay, now move forward. And they went to the city of the Levites. Now David, when he wanted to move the ark, looked at the miracle God had worked for the Philistines and said, we can do it the same way. And so he put it on an ox cart. Had God ever told the children of Israel to use an ox cart to move the ark? You won't find it in Scripture. That's why God couldn't bless. David said, you weren't there, priest. God made a breach on us because we didn't do it after the due order. Friends, are you getting the point here? We as Seventh-day Adventists cannot look at the churches outside and try to mimic their church growth plans or their worship plans because they don't know better. God will bless them in their ignorance, but He will not bless us. He will bring a breach upon us. He will not bless us. And we will be worse off than if we had not grown at all. Powerful story. Sincere worship. Sincere attitude. Enthusiastic worship. Right attitude, right right motives, but they did not do it after the due order. Has God given us as Seventh-day Adventists everything we need for effective church growth? Yes. Has God given us exactly the specifications of how to come before Him in worship? Yes. Has God told us everything we need for salvation? Yes. Why are we going out there? I'll tell you why. Because it's easier out there. 
it's easy. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condemning anyone on the outside. They are sincere, godly people, but they don't have the light we have. So God says, of whom much has been given, much is required. Does it matter how we worship God? Yes. David said, God has made a breach upon us. Does that remind you of a passage of Scripture? Isaiah 58, verse 12. We shall be called the repairers of the breach. We see it coming, friends. That's why I was so impressed by God to do this series here today. Because you, as Seventh-day Adventist young people, will be called upon to repair the breach that my generation has brought in. But in order to repair the breach, you got to know what the truth is. you got to know what God's command is. you got to know what God's standard is. And friends, don't follow Satan's line that God's standards are unreasonable, that God's standards are unjust, that God's standards only bring boringness. Friends, I want to tell you something. God is good. God is fair. God is a God of beauty and justice and mercy and happiness. Just look at nature. You look at an orangutan, God's got a sense of humor. You look at a platypus, God knows how to laugh. God must, God, when God made a platypus, He took all the spare parts and put them together. He says, here it is, platypus. God knows what He's doing. We have a very sterile view of God, but God is a God of love and mercy and joy. The Bible says, fullness of joy have all they that serve God. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Why have we followed Satan's cunningly devised fables? Look at Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10. We've already talked about that. But let's look last at Belteshazzar. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. You know the story. Verses two and three, Belshazzar, while he tasted, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which is in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. They brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which his princes and wives were to drink in, and they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of stone. And the Bible says, in that same hour, the writing went on the wall. Meaning, meaning, tikkun yifars. What was Belshazzar's mistake? What was his mistake? He tried to mix true worship with pagan. True worship with false. Now, you might say, but Dane, this guy's a pagan. He didn't know better. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Look at verse 22. This is Daniel now talking. O thou his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you know all this. Friends, what's the big problem? What's the big problem in the church when we start bringing in all these new worship styles and all these new worship modes and all these new worship things? It means that we have not humbled our hearts before God to seek Him after the due order. Oh, you can call it that too. And notice what happens. But you were lifted up. 
against the Lord of heaven, and you have brought the vessels of his house before thee. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines and have drunken them. You have praised the gods of gold and silver of brass and iron, which see not nor hear not, and the God in whose hand thy breath is and all your ways, and you have not glorified God. So friends, what's God telling us here? As Seventh-day Adventists, what's the most important job we have today? To keep the Sabbath holy. To guard the Sabbath against the intrusion of the unworldliness that's trying to come in. And friends, when we look at Israel, I mean, we have, we have a ton of texts. I have 15 texts we could look at. We don't have time. Of what happened in Israel. What was Israel's big problem? Don't miss this. What was their big problem? Why were they always leaving God? It was worship. Friends, it wasn't, listen, don't, Satan has twisted our brains here too. We say, oh, they wanted to worship idols. That's not what it was. They wanted to worship like everyone else worshiped. It wasn't idol worship. It was they wanted to worship like everyone else worshiped. That was their problem. And that is coming into our precious church even today. We want to worship like everyone else worships. And that's why. That's why in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13, you have the daily desolation being paganism. Because why? Daily, it drew God's people away from true worship. Daily, it caused them to apostatize. Daily, they were trying to mimic the pagan worship of the world. And now we come down to the end of time. We have the contrast in Daniel chapter 8. We have the abomination that maketh desolate contrasted with the, with the daily desolation. What is the abomination that maketh desolate? It is papal worship. False Babylon worship. The fallen churches of Babylon. And Satan is doing the same things the Seventh-day Adventists he got the Jews to do. We want to worship like them. We want our church to grow like Willow Creek. We want our church to grow like that one. We want to sing like those people. We want to have child meetings like those people. God says, no, I've given you everything you need. You see, we need to understand today that the Lord loves us with an everlasting love. Hey, friends, God wants our worship services. You know, sometimes it's painful for me, painful for me to preach when I see the faces in front of me. People look happier at a funeral than at church. You know what I'm talking about up there? When we come through those doors, do we really believe that the God of the universe is waiting here for us? Friends, before you got here this morning, Jesus was already here. Jesus was already here. He was planning what He was going to bless us with. you need a blessing today, sister? I need a blessing. When I, when I come through those doors, I know that God has promised a blessing. According to the sanctuary service, He has promised a double blessing on Sabbath. A double portion of His Spirit on Sabbath. That's why Sabbath is the most exciting day of the week. I had the most beautiful... I'm, we're going to close in just a second. They told me I could go to 11.20. So I'm just two minutes over. Not bad. I'm doing good, sweetheart. Talking to my wife. I was up in the, up, in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Michigan's like this. It's got an upper peninsula. I was way over here in the UP. We call them Upers. The UP guy. We're trolls. We live under the bridge. 
the Mackinac Bridge takes you over to the UP, and anyone who lives in the low state is called trolls, because trolls live under bridges. So we went up, and we were in the UP. And there was a lady there in church, the Sabbath we were there. We did a health meeting all week long. I wish I could tell you it was wonderful. But there was a lady there, her first, her second time in church. She had been reading the Bible. She has five children. Had been reading the Bible, and she became convinced from reading the Bible that Saturday is the Sabbath. She didn't know there were any Sabbath keepers on the face of the earth. She was keeping Sabbath for four months all by herself. And then somebody at work, who's a Seventh-day Adventist, said, Hey, why don't you come to church with me this Sabbath? She went, Sabbath? When do you go to church? He said, Saturday. She said, I've been keeping Sabbath for four months. I didn't know there was a Sabbath keeper anywhere. And she came to church for the first time. I was there her second Sabbath in church, and she told me, that the night before, her children were looking at the clock saying, Mommy, is it almost Sabbath? And she said, yeah, they're good. We, we, we're going to come into God's day. Friends, if we only had that enthusiasm, how our lives would change. We have lost our first love. But I guarantee you today that as you understand, as you come back this afternoon and see what God's plan is for you in your life, God wants you to have fullness of joy. God wants you to have peace that passes all understanding. God wants you to have power that you are invincible against the devil. And friends, that can only happen as we come into right worship relationship with God. You look at the kings of Israel. Every king who served God, every king who lifted up a standard was invincible. When Balaam tried to curse Israel, could he do it? But when he got them to worship wrong, they fell. The, the main wind. We're here. It's Sabbath, but are you really worshiping God today? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your wonderful blessings toward us. We thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord, the God of all flesh, and nothing is too hard for you to do. Lord, I want to thank you specifically today for the Sabbath and for the oasis it is in a dry, sin-parched earth. For the, for the, for the, the, the fort, the, the fortress that it is for us who worship you. Lord, we have sinned against you in many ways, but we thank you today that you are a God of forgiveness. And Lord, as we worship you this day, as we come together to study your word this afternoon, I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, not to a legalistic relationship with you, but to a love relationship grounded in all that you have done for us. Jesus, please write your law in our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.